Diaries and Vice Podcast, a perfectly passable China Africa podcast. I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, flying solo for the time being. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Oduro, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. This episode is the product of many Twitter conversations in which I wanted to examine how other Africa-focused media outlets are dealing with the China-Africa relationship. I completely lucked out by getting James Schneider, formerly the editor-in-chief of Think Africa Press, and Sam Peranti, producer and journalist at the BBC. They are also roommates, so they're going to be tag-teaming this pod on the same Skype channel, so hopefully it'll sound a lot better. Mr. Schneider read theology at the University of Oxford and has a particular interest in the study of political economy, capital flows, and equitable development. He is also a frequent commentator on African affairs, notably for Monocle 24 Radio as well as other outlets. Mr. Peranti quickly got on my radar for all the work he did in Guangzhou, notably Economic Nomads in a City of Flows, published on Think Africa Press in October of 2013 and funded through a grant from the WITS Journalism China Africa Reporting Project. Most recently, I read his piece, The Salons That Hope You Can't Tell Goats and Humans Apart, published a few days ago on BBC News Magazine. And I imagine based off his work, Harry Haggling, When Chinese and African Traders Go Off on Different Strands in October of last year. James, Sam, thank you for coming on the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So... Why is Calories and Rice and Think Africa Press only putting on a podcast after both of you are no longer totally with Think Africa Press? Why are the fates so cruel? I blame you entirely, Winslow. It's all your fault. Yeah, we, we should have done this. We should have done this ages ago. Yeah. I I agree. This is as in all things in life, it is completely my fault. <laughs> what What are you guys working on right now? Um, I this is uh, James. I'm about to go to. New Africa magazine and to to do a big revamp. They're um, going to uh, lots more investment in journalism. We we do the website and it should be really exciting. Uh, and I'm at the BBC um, working uh, on programs that focus on Africa um, and also producing a number of documentaries. Uh, and I've got a couple of side projects. Um, one about borders and checkpoints across the world, um, and the other one is about uh, trade between uh, China and Africa. Borders and checkpoints, isn't that, um, you have your own Twitter account for that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And all our listeners should watch all those documentaries that, that Sam's putting together and subscribe to New Africa. And I mean, I only have like maybe three listeners, so I don't know how, how much <laughs> is that going to help, but that's fine. Uh, James. I wanted to bring you on because I was very impressed by your assessment of the overall contours of the Africa of China Africa affairs, and I wanted to know what you, as an Africa watcher, think about how China fits into your own research and projects. Well, I think um, there's obviously the the China Africa relationship is important, and everybody knows that that's a large constituent part of whatever is going on across the continent. But I think also. Um, what's going on domestic? And I'm I'm no expert at it, but I try to keep half an eye. Um, what's going on domestically in China will have kind of rather large impacts on uh, what's happening more broadly 
uh, in Africa, if the you know what structure the Chinese economy takes. Um, firstly, with um, how, you know where will the um, businesses that they're exporting, the industries which are no longer super competitive in China, where will they move out to? Will that change uh, how the shipping global shipping lanes are, um, are function, which would allow or make uh, exporting goods from Africa um, rather different? So China, what happens in China will have a very large impact, and I'm trying to sort of view it in that relationship, not just what are the big ticket um, infrastructure deals, but also you know what changing nature of the Chinese economy is going to then impact um, the African continent, because a lot of the growth over the last ten years, as we know, has been linked to the commodity super cycle, which has been a you know that's a large part driven by what's been going on in China. How do you see? China's engagement with Africa as a foreign power is it a continuation of the way foreigners have dealt with Africa over the past 500 years and I'm basically just trying to tiptoe around the issues of colonialism and slavery but right since you are very cognizant of these issues and and bring them up a lot in your discussion I'm wondering about patterns of engagement yeah, so um, there are um, strong similarities which we should draw whilst being really aware of how things are different. So if, let's look at the infrastructure that's being that's being built. Now you can look at that. Um, you know, let's say you took a you know helicopter view and you looked down on uh, on the continent, you saw um, where the train lines are being built from and to, and you can see that they're performing a sort of similar role to the infrastructure that was built in the colonial era. It's broadly about getting um, raw materials out. But, you know, so, so bearing that in mind, you understand the kind of um, overall structural position that the African continent is in general playing with respect to the rest of the world and, their, and how China acts there won't be terribly different. But then there are large differences from before. So it's, you know, um, China will build a railway line to be part of Kenya's Vision 2030. Now, Vision 2030, we can say, has large input from um, uh, some Western ideas or that sort of thing, but it is, you know, drawn up by Kenyans for, with Kenyan proposals, and uh, China fits into that. So I think that um, like China is not a colonial power, um, China's engagement is um, significantly uh, less maligned than that, but there are there are similarities in terms of um, China has a surplus capital. It has to do something with that surplus capital, in similar manner to how European powers engaged with uh, with Africa in the 19th century, and they needed to do something with their surplus capital. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that hasn't been too vague and saying that it's both the same and different, but that's sort of my position. Uh, no, I, I th- thank you for, for clarifying it. And, I mean, this, this is an argument that uh, Professor Howard French made uh, on an earlier pod, and it's something that unless you have a background in sort of uh, Marxism or, like... <laughs> historical materialism yeah it's tough it's tough to understand it's tough to understand what people are talking about in terms of capital and power relations in the 
in these sorts of discussions. And, and since you do have that sort of background, I, I, I was hoping you would elaborate. Uh, yeah, we, pr we have a few graduate students who listen to this, so I'm sure they're going to go and read some Foucault and Habermas after this and, and comment. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I mean, I've, so putting it into that view, I sort of, and I think that um, uh, like Wallerstein's work uh, on how Africa fits into the uh, world system is extremely relevant to kind of um, have that macro understanding of um, how of, of what is impacting the African continent from from the outside and also how it fits in, how it isn't just um, uh, abstract and removed, how what it takes place in uh, uh, Congo is firmly part of um, a global system of um, products and um, uh, and capital flows. And yeah, I, I mean, what you know, some of that comes out of um, you know, Marxian language. But I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think you need to. Um, I don't think you need to have an enormous grounding in that. And you know, everyone knows what capital is. People know what capital flows are, um, and people know what you know. Having surplus capital is like, why does um, China own so much, um, uh, so, so many U.S. Treasury bonds if they don't have a surplus? I mean, we, we, I mean, everyone understands that. Your Fox News contributor talks about it. They might get it the wrong way around, but they, they, they know what's going on. Well said. <clears throat> Now, Sam, on to you. I thoroughly enjoyed your reporting on Africans in Guangzhou. Tell us about your latest piece for BBC and how it connects to broader patterns of relations you saw in the China-Africa relationship. I'm hoping to somehow turn the sale of human and goat hair into a Sino-Africa metaphor. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. Um, uh, but, but, you know, thank you. Um, I think, so this, this piece that I wrote came out of uh, some research I was doing in Guangzhou uh, last year, uh, which was um, in, in Guangzhou, in, in an area called San Yuan Li, there's a huge beauty market. It's enormous. Um, and in there, what you have are, are different levels which are dedicated to a certain type of beauty product. Um, on, the, on the lower floor, it's dedicated entirely to hair. Um, and so um, I'd walk past this market every day, having not been inside, um, and you'd see kind of people wandering in and out with these big bunches of hair, different coloured wigs on, people carrying mannequins, um, which I became particularly scared of actually, <laughs> after a while. Um, but uh, uh, but yes, and so and I, I was intrigued, so I went inside, um, and inside, what was um, very interesting was speaking to um, the traders on the on the hair floor. Um, was the Chinese traders was that the majority of their clients were from um, the African continent, um, uh, of which a, a large proportion are from, are from Lucifer in Africa, um, but, but, but also from, from, from other parts. Anyway, I became particularly intrigued and I, 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 you know, I wanted to, uh, to, to figure out where that, I wanted to see the chain, so I wanted to f find out where it came from and where it ended up. Um, so um, having spoken, uh, I spoke to a number of different uh, hair uh, merchants who had connections to factories um, in central China um, and then I managed to go to some of those factories and then after speaking to the factories I spoke uh, I asked them where they got their hair from and they took me to some of the villages where um, their hair was cut um, and and yeah and so and so I, 
and so I kind of from there I then followed the trail of um, a, a very small trader who was um, going around cutting some hair. Uh, and whilst I was in these villages, um, the, the, but it was it was it was the middle of summer at the time, and um, it was scorching hot. Uh, and all the hair, when they dry the hair, once it's been cut and washed, they dry it out in the streets. Um, and I noticed that there was a lot of hair that was uh, shorter than I would expect. Um, and then uh, having seen a number of goats walking around without much hair, I started <laughs> to become slightly suspicious as to whether this was all human hair that was being uh, traded. Uh, and it turns out, um, you know, some of it... Uh, some of it isn't human hair. You know, some of it is goat hair. Some of it is synthetic hair. Um, and yeah, and so and 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 that's it really. And and I think in terms, in, in, when you, you, we talk about you know relations between China and Africa, um, speaking about it more broadly, um, I think it was interesting because it really brought home to me because although this is a big that you know it, there's lots of money involved in this trade it's all done mainly by individual actors um who build relationships um between you know the uh, the the chinese traders and the factories um and then their salons in in wherever they are in, in that particular story i was looking at speaking to a woman from kampala in uganda um but what was interesting to, to me was i think it was just an insight into the, the level of complexity and the level of and, and, and the, you know, some of the, the things that nobody would ever consider part of the China-Africa relationship, which the majority of the time is framed as the Chinese wanting to uh, uh, dig up whatever minerals they can from the African continent. So for me, it was a, just a real insight into the kind of the depth of the relationship and also the relationships that are built up between the traders, I think. Says so something about, you know, and, and the, with the big African community in, in, in Guangzhou in particular, the sustainability of the relationship as well, which I think, you know, once once China's finished with its, you know, minerals, there, there will still be a relationship there based on social interactions because of um, these small trading um, outfits in, in Guangzhou. Um, so, yeah, so that was that was a, that was a story that um, I was particularly fascinated by. It, and one of the things that, that I, I really want to emphasize to our listeners is the fact that these are Africans try, these are African um, traders who are, are making a substantial profit off the sale of hair. So if anything, it's Africa initiated. And, and I, I, do, I do want to second Sam's point about it, it shows the, the, the complexity of, of interaction and that, yeah, they're, they're there are a lot of parts of the China-Africa interaction that, that is at a granular individual level um, that is based on is based on personal knowledge. Oh, I'm I'm curious in the BBC piece, the traders, the 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 seller and the trader seem to have a somewhat adversarial relationship, and <laughs> is that did you meet did you meet any groups? that dealt with each other long enough that the sort of ritual haggling didn't seem quite as cutthroat as they sort of knew each other's actual prices? Um, well, it, well it, it, it's different. I mean, 
if anybody has the opportunity, they should read some of Roberto Castillo's work on the traders living in Guangzhou. Um, and, and one of the things that he talks about, I mean, we've talked at length about, about this, um, is the fact that uh, the trading the trading that goes on uh, is that tend, basically it tends not to happen because um, the community in Guangzhou is so transient. So a lot of the, the people that are on the ground doing business, the, neg the negotiations go on for so long and are so um, difficult at times, partly because there isn't necessarily that relationship there. Once a relationship is built up, a lot of the time what happens is um, then the, I don't know, the, the, the hair salon in Uganda, the woman who owns that, for example, um, can do it over the phone or can get someone to do it for her who she knows. And that's where the relationship would then be. So th those kind of first social interactions tend to be, um, uh, yeah, face, kind of face to face. Um, but because of the various visa situations in Guangzhou, um, it's, or in China, sorry, at large, for many um, foreigners, uh, it's very, very difficult for anybody to stay there long enough um, to build up relationships you know, kind of within the same proximity. So anyway, so, so, so yeah, so that's what I found. And, and what, one last thing I want to ask, um, touching about the, the visa issue, how did, how many people that you met, um, how many African traders that you met came back to Guangzhou physically after a successful deal? Is it after one deal they they find somebody on the ground to to carry on without them and and to 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 sell directly really, to them? It really really depends. Um, I mean, there's um, I didn't I didn't find a pattern, um, and I think that that that's just because the the community there is is a so large, um, but but b is so it's so. Um, Complete. There are people from all over the continent. I mean, it's not just African traders there as well. I mean, it's it's traders from from uh, all over the world, from from India, from um, Pakistan, from uh, South America. There was traders. So it's a and and I think the the majority of people that that were there, um, yeah, were were the, the I spoke to were first timers. But the longer you stay there, there is a community that is a bit more settled there. I mean, and there is a community as well who are um, overstayers. So you know, their, their, their visa has has run out, and they um, they've gone over, and they haven't had such a successful trip, uh, and so uh, they they can't fund their return home, and or they're too embarrassed to go home, so they have to stay on without a visa. Thank you so much for for that answer, and for carefully negotiating the trap I had set for you to try and have you definitively say how African traders act in Guangzhou. <laughs> yeah, that, that's quite tricky. Yeah. So James and Sam, neither of you or myself are Chinese or citizens of any of the 54 African countries. What does that mean for how we write and think about Africa broadly and the China-Africa relationship specifically? And this question would have been so much better asked by Dr. Nkemjika Kalu. Obviously, uh, where one comes from and what, uh, what one 
things, the sort of unknowing things that you think, not the not not your conscious thoughts, but um, how you've been socialised, um, is going to have a large effect on how you how you look at things. And that would go for anyone being from anywhere, obviously. Um, I think uh, uh, the overall way in which uh, non you know, people from, you know, Americans and, and, and British people, Americans and Europeans have covered both China and Africa separately and China and Africa together um, has been really problematic in uh, a number of ways. Uh, they've obviously seen the China-Africa uh, relationship through a prism of um, fear of the Chinese, an idea of loss of... Um, or fear of loss of, of um, Western dominance. And that doesn't necessarily have to be uh, political or economic. It could also be cultural dominance or, or uh, social linkages um, with the African continent. Now, for um, people who don't want to just replicate, uh, you know, like us, like you and, and, and Sam and myself and those of other people who, um, who, are, who don't want to just replicate these um, uh, problematic bad basically these bad ways of looking at both china and africa separately or china and africa together um i think you just need to be uh extremely aware of um why you might think things tacitly and try to unpack um a lot of one's preconceptions and try to step outside of them uh and um try to also amplify the voices that are coming out of both china and africa um, rather than trying to replace them or supersede them. Wow. Yes, I agree. Okay, good. <laughs> right. Um, uh, uh, what, 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 uh, which bit do you agree with? Amplify, amplifying existing voices, not necessarily trying to supersede them. Uh, and, and that's, that's one of the things that hopefully calories and rice will do, uh, more of in the future. And, and, and we've, we've tried, we tried our, our hand at it. Um, but, um, we could always do better, but it's always one of the things in the back of my mind. And one thing I always to be very cognizant of. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, 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 there, there is absolutely nothing. I mean, of course, I'm going to say this, but there's a, I, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with being interested and uh, working on um, things that are, um, you know, uh, out, outside of you. You just need, I mean, there's a very bad um, history and there are social dominances and, you know, you've just got to be clear, are you working to undermine those or are you, or are you um, without knowing it, uh, enhancing them, and it's—I mean—that's all you can be at any point. It's just be sort of thoughtful. Very, very good point, and I hope all our listeners realize that when they own, when they all set up their competing China Africa podcasts. <laughs> uh, Sam, I, I want to get back to you real quick. If you manage to snag another Vitz journalism grant, what would you want to report on? And how did you apply for such a grant to begin with, in case any of our listeners are interested? No, sure. Um, I, I mean, I would love to snag another witch journalism grant, and I don't, I don't know whether I can. Uh, but uh, uh, basically, I, would, I think I would 
there's a place called Yiwu, um, which uh, produces goods um, which are supposed to be of the worst possible quality China produces. Um, and and, and um, it is also, because of that, the cheapest place to buy anything and everything. And, and part of the reason for that is apparently is um, in Guangzhou, there is a, after the 2010 Asian Games, just to add some context, after the 2010 Asian Games, um, Guangzhou um, decided that it was going to change its environmental restrictions for factories. When they did that, what happened was all of the factories which were once close to the cities had to move really quite far away. Um, when that happened, the prices of goods rose because of transport costs, for example. Um, uh, but in Yiwu, apparently what you have is, is almost kind of shops coming out of the factories um, uh, and producing lots of um, goods which are um, of questionable quality. But what you have there are people who used to be in Guangzhou to buy the cheapest goods available um, uh, and are now going to places like Yiwu um, where those goods are, are now produced. Um, so I think um, I'd like to do something on that. I, I'd also like to do something on uh, the, the, the kind of the network of trading hubs that exist outside of, that's part of the, the relationship between China and Africa, but are outside of China in, in Vietnam, in Thailand, um, for example, where a lot of the, the traders are um, are going to uh, now because of because of the uh, increase in price of lots of goods in China. Um, so so yeah, I yeah I do something on that. Uh, I guess changing patterns of trading relationships um, based on geography. So whether it be Guangzhou or Yiwu or wherever. Um, so I do that uh, in terms of how I I got the grant. Uh, how did I apply? Yeah. So I um, I just wrote a proposal, filled out a form, uh, and sent it off, and then. It was. It all happened quite quickly within within. Did a, I have to write a letter. Oh yes, yeah, sorry. I yeah. had to write a letter as well. I think. Yeah, a, a letter of recommendation from the uh, outlet that you are going to publish um, in, um, and and yeah, and then we sent it off, and then within the space of a few weeks, you know, we were all kind of set to go. Um, but they were very good. They provided some real some guidance and. Um, yeah, it was a re it was really nice to to work with them actually. And if they are listening and do want to give me another grant, I will happily accept it. <laughs> so step one, apply. Step two, James Schneider writes a recommendation. Yeah. Okay. So um, I hope I hope you get inundated with a bunch of people asking for your recommendation for this grant after this set, um, James. Well uh, if anyone is listening and does have a fantastic uh, project that um, they know that they can get a grant from somewhere else for and I can uh, work with them on it and publish it, um, they know, you know, I'll say where to find me at the end. Oh, that's that's terrific. And uh, and Sam, I'm so happy you mentioned Yiwu. Uh, th there is a lot of exciting research coming out uh, from there. And, and one of my one of my friends, Miss um, L. Wong, uh, she's getting her PhD from George Mason. She, I think, is is doing a lot of research on on Yiwu, and and she's personally told me about it. Which I, and the thing that I 
found interesting from her research is that uh, Iwu has a lot of um, Francophone Africans living there, and I think of more Muslims. And North um, African states, yeah. And... Uh, and, and yeah, and, and the the issues of, of language and, and religion that go into these communities is something that I personally find fascinating. But yeah, and if anyone has money lying around to give to Sam to study this, hit him up. Let him yep. know. Yeah, give me a call, anything. <laughs> All right. Um, lastly, and, and for both of you, how do... Chinese capital flows relate to equitable development in your estimation. How do they relate to the capital flows of other African countries as well as the United States and Europe? Should I start on that? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, well, to begin with, we don't really know yet um, because um, uh, I, bizarrely, um, well, maybe not bizarrely, in fact, I mean, actually, if we think about it, not bizarrely, um, the amount of um, money going in and out of African countries is very, very poorly understood, because especially money going out, so much of it is, is, is illicit. Um, so we, we don't yet really know how different um, uh, Chinese um, actors are, you know, are they engaging in a, in a similar manner of trade misinvoicing and transfer pricing that you see in a lot of uh, Western multinationals, um, which are you know really really bad for equitable development. Um, uh, whether you're taking that you know equitable development in reducing global inequalities or create or you know preventing the creation of new inequalities within a given state, um, I think that uh, I mean again we're talking super generally here but you know chinese capital flows in general because of the uh its political masters are more willing or more open to discuss or negotiate um the sorts of um investments or policies which would be more broad-based development with african countries so it, for example um in south africa the trade minister there, Rob Davies, um, he you know he keeps trying to push with his Chinese counterparts about how they need to um, uh, balance out or rebalance um, the direction of trade, how that uh, you know how that goes, too much wore out, too much finished in, uh, and also get additional investment for um, South African content within the investments and for their SME sectors. Ghana is also sort of trying to do the same. You can't really imagine the same thing with, um, you know, let's say uh, the $14 billion um, dollars announced by Obama in U.S. corporate private in, uh, investment into African infrastructure. It's difficult to imagine the same sorts of negotiations taking place by, you know, saying that a lot of the investment actually has to stay in country and it has to go into developing um, industries within African states. So, uh, I mean, at the moment, I mean, there's Chinese capital flows are not, you know, they're not based in ideas of equitable development. It's still, super, you know, really focused on um, natural resource extraction, which we know um, that sort of tends to be the opposite of building a, an equitable development model. Mm. Um, but uh, but they, they are they are more open. They, it's not the only thing they're interested in. If we look at 
um, you know, Ethiopia, for example, where they're, I mean, it's small, but they're starting. Um, and yeah, they pay low wages and they're real um, uh, labor issues, but um, they are building some, um, some manufacturing. Um, you know, I mean, there's the famous shoe example, but there, there, there are others. It, it's not the only one. And just to add, um, I think one thing that's really, really difficult, so I'm working on a project at the minute, which is trying to look at a number of different things about trade between China and different African states. Um, 10, you know, 10, 20 things that you didn't know about it, looking at certain statistics. It's very, very difficult to get hold of um, statistics coming out of China. Really, and, it, and it's really, really difficult to then use anything to make a flaw. I, I, there's a lot we don't know, a lot we don't know, and it's really, really tricky to um, actually pin down the kind of figures we can trust and, and understand. And so, and that's something I'm having a real problem with at the moment and trying to figure that out as best we can. And, uh, you know, I mean, and so I think just uh, looking at it, trying, uh, if any of your listeners are trying to research it, I mean, that's one of the difficult things that we've, that we've come across. Um, I just want to add one other quick thing there. Um, uh, when we're talking about, you know, Chinese, let's say, you know, uh, capital flows with Chinese characteristics versus with uh, <laughs> European characteristics or whatever, um, uh, 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 you know, swilling around and coming out again of the of the African continent and its relationship to some idea of uh, of, of equity. Um, we should also think a lot about um, where African agency lies in that, because um, there's, you know, cap uh, capital with Chinese characteristics um, does not have, an, you know, does not necessarily have any particular. It's not going to develop Africa in a in a, a equitable or progressive whatever manner because it's nice. Um, uh, these are political decisions, and it is incumbent, I think, on. Um, African governments to work together rather than against each other to um, uh, win much better, you know, win a, win a much better deal from both Chinese um, external cap foreign capital and that of you know really anywhere else in the world. Um, you know, we want to see. I would like to see much more things like let's say the East African community coming together with common um, uh, and not race to the bottom taxes but a, a common tax rate uh, common external investment protocols and that sort of thing so you know there's nothing is going to because it's nice to um, do things equitably that we need to really focus on um, uh, what the African actors are in this and what are they going to do and how can they do things to create a more a more equitable development path than it looks like uh, the continent's on at the moment, or than the you know, other places that have developed fast and recently uh, have been on or are still on. Excellent. Uh, and based on what you said, I'm I'm going to push back on one comment and reinforce another. So, Sam, I believe you said that it might be difficult sometimes to get um, Chinese statistics. It's difficult if you don't speak Chinese but if you do speak Chinese or read Chinese there there are ways to get to know certain to know certain things that are going on um, and the, the the real issue is getting certain um, statistical indicators translated in English so um, uh, the Mofcom website or even company websites they actually have some decent stuff on there that just have never been translated. 
Sure, um, and, and, and I, 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 and I do realize, and we, we basically, I'm working with um, the Chinese service on this, um, and, and this project in terms of trying to get as many statistics as we can. Um, and although there is that, you know, it's very true that, it, that you can get hold of some. Um, just looking at, um, we know that there's a lot of stuff that we just we simply won't be able to get hold yes. of. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I essentially just wanted to make sure our listeners didn't get the impression that the Chinese were particularly bad at sharing this sort of information. Um, they fall within the acceptable range of every country and their relations with Africa. Uh, but in terms of statistics, uh, yeah, um, it's, it's, there's not as much there as we would like, but there, there is definitely um, a, a few interesting tidbits. Mm. Um, and, and then, yeah, and, and I think, but I think overall, both, both of you made, made really, really excellent points. Do you have anything you would like to add before we sign off? No, I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I've said all of the yeah. words that I know. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to, we're going to smoothly segue to our recommendations portion so sam would you like to start us off with a recommendation uh sure yeah um definitely i mean i mentioned before definitely check out roberto castillo stuff if you're interested in african traders in in, in china uh his his website africans in, in china dot net i think maybe that's wrong it is dot net it is dot net great um it's great uh and provides some real, I mean, he takes lots and lots of fantastic photographs. He's just finished his PhD. Um, and congratulations to, to Roberto on that, actually. I haven't said that yet. Um, uh, uh, and yeah, and, and it, it provides a really, really nice um, uh, way of, of, of exploring the trading community over there. And Dr. Castillo is a great guy, and his website is amazing. And whenever I want to get a music video of, like, <laughs> Cameroonians rapping, sure. I just steal it from his website. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, he's great. <laughs> uh, James, yourself? Um, I, okay, well, if you've get Sam, you've given one that's that's... Got lots of uh, color and lots of. I'll do. I'll. I'll do something the opposite. Then I'll be something a bit, a bit drier and uninteresting. No, no, very interesting, but a bit drier. Um, uh, Martin Davies, who's a South African um, economist. Um, he's a, a frontier advisor. I think his company's called. Um, he puts out papers all of the time uh, that um, look at the kind of overall structural economic uh, relationship, and he's he's quite often really spot on yeah um martin davies and, and frontier advisory there are two there are two famous china africa advising services um them and the beijing access and, and martin davies is really well known within the china africa community uh i have a, a lot of friends who, who have personally um been at frontier advisory and and yeah i i he, he, he is a very astute observer of China-Africa relations. Um, he's really, and uh, uh, one other, so he's well-known, maybe slightly less well, a props to a slightly less well-known one. There's a guy called Jonathan Anderson, who is a EM Advisors Group, 
and he does similar kind of stuff to Martin Davies, but you know, brings up different charts and graphs and stuff, and he's really good as well. Fantastic. I, I hope both of them are paying you handsomely for this incredible advertisement. I am going to go to them now and, uh, and ask for a bit of money, a bit of cash. <laughs> Excellent. I, and yes, at Cowers at Rice, we are always um, greasing the wheels of commerce. <laughs> so how can people find you on the interwebs? Do you have a website or Twitter account you would like to share with the audience? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, Schneider Home, S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R-H-O-M-E. Um, and uh, I would also invite your listeners to check out thinkafricapress.com. Um, sadly, we're going into hibernation for a little period of time. I'm not, the future is slightly unclear. But it's, there's four years of really good stuff on there, um, including... You know, the stuff you mentioned of Sam's uh, up at the top with some cracking headlines written by uh, one James Wan, who's very good. Uh, so, um, yeah, please check out com, and you can you can find me on Twitter at Schneider Home. Um, and I'm, I'm Sam Parenti on Twitter, so it's at S-A-M-P-I-R-A-N-T-Y. Um, and I've, I've got my blog where I post anything that I um, put up, which is just samparenti.wordpress.com. Um but yeah, and then on there is the borders um, and migration projects, which I'm working on, which people can check out. Um, yeah, that's it. That is excellent. And yeah, both of you have some of the, the, the best Twitter accounts um, out there that, that deal with Africa. Very enjoyable stuff. I love Think Africa Press. Um, can't recommend it highly enough to our listeners. Um, sad, but understandable that you guys are going in hibernation. And I'm very interested in, in the borders and migration project that... that um, Sam is up to. And of course, check out his blog if you want to learn more about the man, the myth, the legend that is Sam Peranti. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I myself can be found on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Winslow underscore R. I've been doing, I've been pushing away from China African News, which if you want China African News, all you need to do is follow uh, the the Vits, uh, China Africa Twitter feed, China Africa blog, um, Tim Stanicky, um, and um, the last guy who was on my podcast, who I'll add his name into here. If you, so I'm doing um, kind of goofier China Africa stuff, along with some more shameless self-promotion of some of the things I have going on in D.C., uh, and the website is cowriesrice.blogspot.com, where we have been pushing out crazy material, Translation Tuesdays, that if you want to find some, some good uh, stories of translated English. Uh, we've teamed up with uh, Hannah Ryder of the United Nations Development Program to cross-post some of her excellent work. And, and we have more interesting projects on the way that we hope to share with you. That's basically it. Um, James and Sam, thank you so very much for taking the time to, to get on this pod. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. We would love to thank African Development Jobs. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, TuneIn Radio, Double Twist. And we are also teaming up with WTND community radio from Macomb, Illinois to share our podcast. 
We would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.